Welcome to the Little Red Village podcast, produced by Little Red Fashion. CEO Jonathan Joseph and head historian Rachel Elspeth Gross are about to take you on a journey through the ins and outs of fashion, tugging at the threads of how it all works straight from the people who make it happen. Let's join them for today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Little Red Village podcast. I am your fearless leader, Jonathan Joseph, with my comrade in arms, Rachel Elspeth Gross, and today's special guest, Jen Sidari. Rachel, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited that we have the chance to talk to you, Jen. Just for a little background for everyone, we met through a mutual friend, uh, Megan, who was actually a guest with us last year. And Jonathan and I, we've really wanted to find a way that we could amplify voices, that we could bring attention, that we could make personal connections between people in our industry here in America, with Ukraine, and hopefully in other parts of the world. We feel like it's a really important time to show not just that work is happening, but that work of exceptional quality is being produced and being done under the worst possible circumstances imaginable. I don't mean to laugh. It's just like, how can nobody be yelling about this? So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. The work that Jen is doing is so profoundly inspiring. And part of what those of you who've listened to a number of our episodes in seasons past, and you know, by the time this airs in season two, will know we love peeling back the layers and pulling at the threads of all areas of the fashion industry, particularly those that are under-discussed, underrepresented, and undervalued in many ways. And being able to share the work of Jen's amazing project is something that is so important to me in terms of using fashion as a lens to talk about vital issues that affect people every day in their everyday lives. And with that, I would love it if Jen would uh, introduce herself and her work and talk a little bit about how she got started on this path. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Jen, and... I've been working in the fashion industry for sadly about 30 years, I think now. I've worked at some pretty incredible companies. I spent a good seven and a half years running the luxury website for Zappos. I lived in Henderson, Nevada at the time and learned quite a bit about the e-commerce space. It was in like 2007, I started working there. And then I left Zappos and moved to sunny Los to be the president of sales for Vivian Westwood America. I had a longstanding relationship with Vivian and the incredible team there in London. So it was really a natural kind of progression to leave and do that. I ended up working with a couple Brits who had a multi-brand store in Bristol, actually. So I was living between Bristol and Los Angeles, which people thought was super funny. And then oddly, during COVID, a couple gay friends of mine had been living uh, and working in Kiev in Ukraine. And I thought instead of just sitting around my apartment when everything was closed and looking for new opportunities on LinkedIn or something. They invited me to come and live with them and their son, which I don't have any kids. So this was super new for me. It was in October of 2020. I bought a one-way ticket to Ukraine. So my friends and family thought I was completely insane and that I had lost my mind. They certainly thought that I wouldn't be safe. But I was like, guys, it's Dominique and Jeff and their kid. Like, everything should be fine. And they were completely right. And the perception of Ukraine, I think, was completely wrong. So I landed in November 
2020 and just immediately fell in love with the country, its fashion industry and its people. Is, are they, is the couple, the people who are associated with 91 Lab, is that the... No, no. So the two guys I'm talking about, their names are Dominique Piote and Jeff Michaels. In fact, Tony Shea introduced us back in the day. And we've just maintained our friendship. I actually knew them before they adopted their son. And Dominique was the one who was really pulled to Ukraine. He is the CEO of Unit City. And Unit City will be, once they can continue building again, the largest innovation park in all of Europe and Eastern Europe. So he's the CEO of that project. That's why they were there and they invited me. And, you know, in typical Tony Shea fashion, I took a leap of faith and bought that one-way ticket. Definitely changed my life forever. I would imagine working for Tony will do that. I mean, he is a trailblazing innovator. I've, I've been obsessed with Zappos since the beginning in terms of just their model and his philosophy and work culture and everything. And I, I think, you know, working for him most definitely, I'm sure, and being friends with him most definitely has, has uh, shaped, I would think, your ethos for what you're doing now. Is that, is that correct? Definitely. I learned so much at Zappos and, you know, about e-commerce and websites. And of course, the key thing that you know, Tony really made his mantra, which was customer service. So our angel for fashion website is certainly built around a lot of those principles. And without my experience at Zappos, I certainly wouldn't have been able to launch this website. So can we pause for a second? Could you explain to our audience what angel for fashion is? That's your project right now that literally made me giddy when I was reading about it. Yeah, it's me too. It's really exciting. <laughs> so, I mean, just to give you a little history, I had been consulting with some Ukrainian fashion brands since uh, about January of 2021. Dominique also introduced me to this guy, David Anderson. He is the chief of party, which sounds like such a cool title until you Google what a chief of party does. And then it's not, it doesn't sound like such a fun job. He's, <laughs> he's the chief of party for USAID, Ukraine's competitive economy program. Basically, we give money to underdeveloped countries to help them grow their SMEs. I was lucky enough to meet David. And last summer, I pitched him an idea to bring four Ukrainian fashion brands to New York Fashion Week, which these grants, of course, take forever normally to get them going. But David worked at lightning speed like me. And last September, I brought four Ukrainian brands to New York Fashion Week. And this February, I brought six, the week the war broke out, which made it very Mm. interesting. But all of these things really is what led me to developing this angelforfashion.com website. So it's a multi-brand Ukrainian website. Currently, we now have three weeks in, 37 of the most prominent Ukrainian brands on the site. Other products are all featured. Some of them, of course, are live product that's already made. Some of it is pre-sell items. We've already had some incredible sales on the site, which is crazy in the first three weeks. We've even shipped 70% of the orders. The product goes ground because there is a local shipper named Nova Posta that is still shipping ground shipments from Ukraine. So it goes ground and then 
once it leaves Ukraine, then it hits the air and will hopefully be hitting customers' doorsteps very soon. That's amazing. There's so much about all of that we have to talk about. But I was reading, there's a Women's Wear Daily article about your work, and it was talking about how it's kind of, this is not a government organization. It's a business thing. These people are all coming together and they are working not only for themselves, but for their community, right? Yeah, USAID really just kind of helped lead me to this moment. I mean, they aren't a part of the project. I am the CEO and founder, and the money to fund the project is all coming out of my savings account. In my opinion, I feel like it's how I'm giving back to Ukraine is to really invest not only in helping these brands and designers continue to pay their employees during the war, but also make sure that they continue their businesses and help them grow so that when the war ends and Ukraine wins, they will. Yes, as they will, they will have hopefully even bigger businesses than what they had to begin with. I think what you're highlighting here is so important in the sense that you're doing is a genuine example of actionable equity. You're creating equity in an inherently disparate situation for designers who are profoundly suffering the effects of this war in the Ukraine. What I love about it, especially from my vantage point here at Little Red Fashion, is that you are making Ukrainian fashion for everyone in a way that is genuine, reciprocal in terms of supporting this industry and showcasing and highlighting it in a way that nobody's done before. I would be curious to know, and I'm sure that our listeners would be curious to know, you know, you you highlighted how you got your start in the industry and how you moved through it and got to this point. One thing our uh, listeners love to hear is what would you say is your earliest fashion memory for yourself? What is the earliest moment you got the sort of fashion bug and said, oh my God, this is something that resonates with me, clothing, apparel, fashion. Were you uh, into it as a child? Like, was this your bag? I was, I was, I was always into fashion. I'm from Kansas City, actually. So I'm from the Midwest and we used to have a Gucci store on the plaza in in Kansas City. And I remember my parents did not have a lot of money, but somehow I talked my mom into buying me a Gucci handbag when I was quite young. So I had a Gucci weekender. Excellent negotiation skills. (laughs) I don't know how I did it. I really don't. My poor mother and father, because they worked multiple jobs to try and give me everything that I wanted. So from then, I remember that. And I I was either going to be an actress or I was going to work in fashion. So I just felt like fashion, I had a better chance of actually succeeding honestly, is why I picked it. Been into fashion forever. I always say, I know where all my money is. It's like hanging right in my closet. It reminds me of that line from uh, the movie Auntie Mae when the stock market crash happens and her friend Vera Charles says, and everyone thought I was such a fool for spending all my money. Uh (laughs) I I regret all the things I don't purchase more than the things I purchase. There's a pair of gold LeMay pants that I did not buy in 2012, and they haunt me to this day. Right? Yeah, that happens yeah. to me with vintage all the time because I try to either up that. I'm a big on thrifting and, and vintage and, and, and really I've deaccelerated sort of the growth of my closet in the, in the past in many years. 
And when it's a vintage piece that you just can't stop thinking about, and then you go back and you're like, and it's gone. And that was the only one. Yeah, God. Very, very sad. I still have that Gucci bag and watch, by the way. Good for you. I still have my first Louis Vuitton bag that I bought myself with my first consulting fee back when I was much younger. That's going nowhere. Those nostalgic pieces, I mean, that's part of their story. That's what makes fashion so powerful. It's the stories that these things tell. They really are. And there's so much in there. That's one of the things with your work, Jen, that I personally, and with my work with Jonathan, it's really fascinating because there's so much history of the world, like everything from economics and commerce to uniform design, which I'm sure we'll get into. There's all of these different places that fashion intersects, that fashion affects, that fashion impacts. And I get so tired of people pretending like it's only excess. And I love that you are framing the work of these people that you're supporting with not focusing on a price point and not saying, excuse this or please do that. You were saying you will support them. This is what this work costs. You know, please feel free to show your support in, in real time. I know a lot of people that I've talked to in my own life, people, things you read online. Americans aren't always comfortable donating money to a charity or to a foundation because they're not sure where that money is going to go. And I feel like what you're doing, like you were saying, is already livestock in some cases. You could buy something and help someone keep their business going. Or if you're helping a collection get produced by pre-buying, like you were saying, you're making sure that that business has its best chance of continuing. How did you kind of get to that model? How did that happen? It was literally, I'd come home from New York Fashion Week on a Sunday, and one of my brands, Kacharovska Footwear, the designer and owner, Alina Kacharovska, called me from a bomb shelter and said to me, oh my God, Jennifer, I have so much inventory because she has two stores in Ukraine and her own factories, not only stock, but raw materials. And she was like, maybe you could start a Kickstarter fund for us. But she's like, we really don't want handouts and donations. We really do want to get rid of this product. So fell asleep that night and woke up the next day and was like, okay, I need to start a Shopify website. Started calling some, one of my old clients, his name's Kevin, he owns this cool company called Speech in Barcelona. And then I easily got hooked up with a development team that Moktag, who incredibly, after literally one call, designed this gorgeous website. I mean, I certainly never thought that I would start a website with a dropship model because Zappos was always very against that way of doing business because you can't really control the customer experience. But in this instance, it was the only possible way to make this happen. And of course, a lot less expensive for me than to have to buy all the inventory. There's no way I could have pulled it off either. So it all just came full circle and worked out. And then on top of that, I had... I did have a fabulous Ukrainian designer that I had brought home with me from New York. She was not showing at New York Fashion Week. She just happened to be there, Valerie Kolvalska. And of course, she became a refugee in our country. And she was in New York and she was kind of sad. And so I was like, girl, come back to LA with me. So this very glamorous designer ended up sleeping on my couch for five weeks and really was quite instrumental in putting this together because 
I knew some of the brands, but she knows all of the brands, right? So she started making calls and 37 brands later, here we are. That's really impressive. I mean, for three weeks of business, I mean, I think that by anybody's metrics, that would be astounding. Well, we and I'm working like crazy, for sure. I mean, it's <laughs> the best stuff, though. Yeah, I love how, the how working could you part. Not? How could you not? In, in my one-bedroom apartment in West Hollywood. So, I mean, probably somebody should have been filming us, I think. <laughs> they definitely should have. I mean, I would have watched that reality show in a minute. Oh, yeah. Been- oh, yeah. And you haven't, I don't think you've even seen pictures of her, but... Yeah, the two of us together. And we were not even friends. It was crazy. I had literally met her one time in Kiev when she did a fashion show at the department store there. And then we had one dinner together in Kiev. So this was not like a girl that I was friends with. I mean, now, of course, we are super close and talk every single day. But that was a brand new friendship, really. Kind of makes me think of the beginning of that show from back in the day. What was it? Perfect Strangers, Bali Bala Like It, where they're like moving all of a sudden and kind of a thing. Probably oh, better that shoes. I'm guessing better me. shoes. Definitely. Much better shoes, I'm sure. Yeah. Much better <laughs> shoes, I'm sure. But what you spoke to in terms of the model definitely resonates uh, with Rachel. I mean, here at Little Red Fashion, that's an independent publishing company doing a lot of things against the grain. We run on a pre-order-driven model because we don't believe in the traditional publishing model's idea that you should just buy 10,000 copies and if only 5,000 sell, you just burn or destroy them. The environment can't sustain that. Businesses can't sustain that. And when you're not one of the big five publishers, you got to get creative. And so I definitely tip my hat to the creative solution of really making it go because the work you're doing, again, is, is so, so important. Yeah, it's been fun, I have to say. And I've met so many new brands. I mean, you know, I've been in this industry for so long, like the product is cool, but It's the people that change and shape our lives. And I have really built my career around developing deep relationships with people. Hence why I was invited to go live with Dominique and Jeff in Ukraine. And I already feel like I have such an incredible connection with some of these designers I had not even met in Ukraine yet. So We're all kind of planning a big party together for when this ends. And I'm super excited to meet some of these these guys I've never, never met before. Oh, that's so amazing. That's so amazing. I think fashion as an industry is one of those things. And and what we try to do with the Little Red Village podcast here um, is really put a face to the industry, to all of the parts of the industry, the hidden jobs that nobody talks about, the the hidden struggles that nobody talks about, and really bring those to the surface to inspire kids to see and their families to see that there are so many things you can do to be in fashion, regardless of what your interests or talents are, and that this industry, which is about things, you know, we produce garments, we produce objects, but it is driven by people, and people make fashion what it is. And when it is one of the most inherently social fields on earth. And so I think when you speak of, you know, it being about the relationships, that is probably, I think, one of the most important takeaways after we always do these interviews that I, you know, I'm always like basking (laughs) in the glow of uh, these conversations because afterwards I'm just so 
jacked up and energized by every single individual who's working so hard to do so many beautiful things. And I think that with, you know, with your project, especially, I mean, 37 designers in three weeks. I am so excited to see where you are a year from now. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I know. Me too. I mean, I will tell you just to go back to these relationships as amazing as it's been, has been about as painful as it's been because every day you really are talking to these people who are still in this horrific war situation. And, you know, you definitely feel their energy. I mean, they're so happy to talk to me. But at the same time, it's every day you're just hearing some other story about what has happened to them. For example, we've got Bob Bassett, okay, and his company makes masks. Well, his company was based in Kharkiv. And so he's literally waiting for his tools to arrive mm. in Kharkiv to, to make these masks that we sold to a customer. When the, one of the guests I'm going to have on your podcast is Gasanova. And we met and started talking. She's from Donetsk and already fleed that part of the country years ago. And not kidding left Bucha one day before the Russians arrived. It is just, you can't, when you're this close to the stories, unbelievable. I mean, I don't cry. I'm not a crier, but I have to say, I do shed tears every day because of what's happening in Ukraine. Absolutely. And that's kind of exactly what Jonathan and I were thinking as we've been trying to talk about this. And one of the reasons I was so thrilled, Jen, to find you is that those personal connections you're describing, you can't ignore them. They make you feel stuff. Like even hearing you, I've got like goosebumps right now. I want people to feel connected to other people, especially in Ukraine right this second. I want to look at my audience online. I want them to look at their audiences online and I want them to see their friends and family and then look at Ukraine and see reflections of that. I want them to see themselves and the people that they love in what's happening right there because that's the only way I can think that we can convince more help. We need more help. That's part of the reason. So the way that Angel for Fashion works is you go online, you buy a product, suddenly you're an angel for fashion. And then we pass your order off to the brand directly. And the brand actually contacts the customer and they start to exchange emails about possibly like measurements, like somebody ordered a for love dress and to make, to custom make a for love dress, we need your measurements so that it fits you absolutely perfectly. They start to kind of develop this personal emotional connection. And very soon, some of these customer emails will be shared on the website because it is incredible to see these customers, which are angels, tell these brands like, hey, we feel horrible for you. We wish our country was doing more. We're standing with Ukraine. I get to talk to them every single day. But if you have no connection with anyone in Ukraine, and then I connect you with like a real person, and you can start communicating, then 
It's a whole different level of giving than just, oh, I'm going to throw 20 bucks on this website and who knows where it's going to go. No, it's oh emotional. my God, absolutely. It is inherently more emotional. And I'm glad you said that, Rachel, because I distinctly remember in, I went to grad school for uh, philanthropic operations and fundraising management. And I distinctly remember a conversation where we were talking about as a major gift officer, like, what feelings are you going for? And I would always use the analogy of you want the person who's donating to feel like they just walked out of Neiman Marcus with a brand new fur coat or to feel like they just got this beautiful thing. And I say that because honestly, this is the power of fashion to be inherently relatable to all of us. We all get dressed every day and clothing is unique in that it is ubiquitous for all of us. And if it is the conduit through which these connections can be formed, these stories can be told, and this perspective can be gained, then we can move mountains. I think any of us who've been in the fashion industry for really any length of time see that. And what you're doing is taking it into a very empowering corner of reality through this war-torn tragedy. And I think my guess is that a year from now, you will have inspired so many others to try and affect change in other war-torn areas. One of the dialogues we see all over fashion social media right now, and, and in general, for example, is everyone's talking about the Ukraine. What about Palestine? What about Yemen? What about all these other areas? And I think what you're doing is providing a very special use case for how to affect and actualize broad change through the fashion industry in a way that's never been done before. And I think that is so profound. In real time, Jonathan, when we were chatting right before we started with this, I can't remember who said it, but none of us can think of a time during a war when something like this happened. There's plenty of examples of post-war communities coming together or international aid being given. But when has a country fought so hard for itself, for its industries, and done so many creative things to make sure they survive? I mean, I'm gonna have to like dig, I'm gonna have to go look because I can't I know, think I was of it. talking to one of my friends about it and we really couldn't, he couldn't think of a, a case that had happened at least in the fashion industry where somebody had done this during a war period. I always think when people tell me things are impossible, I tend to very much disagree with you. Because I, I think double down. <laughs> I think anything's possible. Yeah, same way. That is Rachel and us. People, when we started this little red journey, there were a lot of people that said, why does a kid's book need augmented reality? The fact of the matter is, kids' books need augmented reality because kids need context, especially when it comes to something as powerful and self-defining as fashion. If we want to teach kids how to have better relationships with clothing so they can understand who made it, where it came from, what went into the process so that we can solve the systemic issues, the gap of, from the fashion industry, business as usual for many decades, then we need to reevaluate that relationship and teach them how to understand clothing in a new way. And I think technology, much like with what you're doing, facilitates that, accelerates that, and makes it much more effective. And so I was so thrilled that you have been so gracious to bring us these designers from the Ukraine so that we can talk to them to really peel back the layers on how they started in fashion and how they've been affected by everything that's happening to them and how that informs their, their fashion ethos, because those stories are essential. I feel like with kids too, don't you kind of think that it is really the first decision that they get to make that makes it them, yes. right? Like, so, I mean, they're not starting to wear makeup first or whatnot, but I mean, I just know from Dom and Jeff's son, who I now spend so much time with, Lucas, 
he feels so cool when he picks out his out, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, walks out of the house like a stronger, more confident human. It's armor. It can be armor. Mm-hmm. What gave me the fashion bug and my first earliest fashion memory as someone with a toxic cerebral palsy who grew up with AFO leg braces, fashion was my armor because my mom looked at me being brutally bullied for it and said, okay, we're going to solve this problem, like the proactive Italian New Yorker that she was. <laughs> so we bopped around the garment district and everywhere and found every pair of tall socks that would cover my leg braces in every color to match any outfit, or I would find the socks that I liked to find outfits. And let me tell you, that's what gave me the fashion bug because I understood, it helped me understand that I was actually in control of my own narrative, of my own story. And when you say that clothing is really the first thing, it is. Ask uh, Sesame Street, ask Elmo. Elmo's been teaching kids how to get dressed for decades. And being able to use clothing to teach kids about the world around them, about important issues, whether they have to do with identity, whether they have to do with the world around them in history, or finding ways to broker tough conversations through the storytelling is so essential to me. And I think the work that you're doing is a great example of that, where it's hard to talk to kids about things like war, and it's hard to talk to kids about what's going on in the world around them without simultaneously instilling fear in them, whether it be about war or things like climate change. Unless we create those bridges, unless we create those tools to broker these conversations, then we're not doing right by these children and by the opportunities afforded to us like never before in history when it comes to creating resources, stories, tools, and technology that allow them to really use fashion as that comprehensive lens to understand themselves, their families, and the world around them. We've been talking to Lucas about the war. Obviously, he lived in Ukraine and now everyone is back living in California at this point in time. But yeah, I mean, I even sat him down. He hears me and Dom and Jeff talk about all of this. And I asked him, like, are you okay with this? How are you feeling about this? And he said that he just felt sad and that he wants Ukraine to win. And he, like, wrote it down in his journal that Ukraine was going to win. So it is just important to keep your kids informed on what's going on, I think. Yeah, I have a five-year-old daughter. She heard something on the news and she asked me that if mommies and babies were dying, and I had to tell her yes, because I don't believe in lying to children. But what you just described with Lucas is similar to with me and my daughter. I think it's very important that we, I think by not talking about it, it's scarier, right? Giving kids language by giving them opportunities to tell us what they think or feel we can make you don't have to compound a tragedy by making, you know, by traumatizing someone, by cutting them off, especially when they're small. Absolutely. I thought that this might be a good moment where we could kind of, Jonathan, we could kind of explain what we're going to be doing with Jen here over this month. Jen's been kind enough to connect us with some of these incredibly talented people. And we really wanted to dedicate a block of time to telling these stories. And Jen, you've got some amazing stories, and I'm not sure who we should say what about or whatever, but... Uh, I'm just so excited about it. So um, over about four weeks here, we're going to be interviewing. We'll put an episode up once a week. We're going to profile a different designer and we are going to have an introduction from Jen. And we will, in the podcast notes, be sharing more information. Sometimes, of course, in these types of interviews, language is going to be a barrier. So we're going to break format a little bit sometimes in some places and we'll do some written interviews. We'll also be 
sharing on social media and our website as much as we can. We want you to know these names and recognize these faces. I'm going to be sharing on my own site some profiles in the style that I normally do. So if y'all like my little fashion history blurbs, I plan on doing the same for these designers. We can all get to know them and feel like they are part of our community because they are. We just don't know it maybe right this second. Absolutely. And I'll just add too, for the parents, teachers and caretakers listening, what we're also doing is using this as an opportunity to start showcasing the educational materials just for kids that touch on the content that we create here. It has been very important to us at Little Red Fashion that we don't just do these interviews and then, okay, it's great to listen to and it's informative. We also, as I was saying when I talked about brokering these tough conversations, are going to be creating worksheet-style materials where kids can work with their adults in their lives to break down some of these tough topics through the lens of the interviews that they can listen to, through the lens of the interviews that they may be reading, and break them down in a really kid-friendly and approachable way because that's really at the heart of everything we do at Little Red Fashion and in Little Red Village because it does, in fact, take a village to empower this next generation of fashion leaders, lovers, and creatives so that they can step into the world of fashion better prepared, or if they're not going to step into fashion as a career, so that they can use fashion to better, again, understand themselves and the world around them. I've got a few people lined up for you, of course. Some of the written questions will, of course, come from our very strong boys. I, I was going to ask. I want to uh-huh. know everything. Yeah, <laughs> she knows I'm talking about Jonathan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do have three brands on the site, and they are owners of these three brands who literally have put down their design, I guess, pencils, you would say, and picked up a gun. And there's three of them on the front lines right now. The boys do text me, which is incredible because I always feel like I'm interrupting them and uh, putting them in harm's way by texting them, but I do anyway. And sending me, of course, pictures of themselves and, and videos on the front lines. So it is a little trickier maybe to get these guys on a podcast, but they are out there fighting for not only Ukrainians' freedom and sovereignty, but I think the world at this moment in time. No, totally. I mean, there's one particular person whose story you shared with me when we've been communicating about this, who I love, and I'm not going to try to butcher the pronunciation of the brands because that would be terrible. Well, and we probably um, shouldn't say it on a child. We probably shouldn't say um, the name of, well, we yeah. don't say it in English. Yeah. Um, and I have absolutely no desire to disrupt someone who's doing such important work, but I love the idea of sharing that story. And through you, I think hopefully we'll be able to, to do that. I mean, someone who's going home to make sure their brand is shipping on time, or not even going home, going to their wherever they're staying for the night, and then getting up and going to war, I mean, I can't even fathom. I know. I mean, do you know that they're soldiers now, so... Do you know that they can't even drink alcohol? I, I mean, need a drink. God knows, I mean, God knows where they're sleeping, right? I really have no right. idea. Okay. But it is incredible. And then, you know, I have a lot of the women designers have left the country, mm-hmm. which is great for them as well. And setting up production in other cities. But since the Russian soldiers have retrieved and left Kiev, Uh, A lot of my designers this week and last week have been headed back to their capital city uh, and are posting videos of their factories back up and running and 
it's really quite exciting to to see what's happening. I mean, these Ukrainians, there's no breaking them, right? No, absolutely. I think one of the reasons that Angel for Fashion spoke and res- to me and resonated so strongly is because one of the through lines for all of our episodes um, of Little Red Village podcast and this initiative is really the idea of resilience and tenacity and being able to take that nonlinear path to wherever you're going and showcasing for kids and families that there is no, no one's life is A to B. It's <laughs> A to B to C to D and that's all over the place. And in the end, persevering and being tenacious are very core values for what we're trying to teach here for kids and families and to inspire them. And I think Angel for Fashion is such a unique distillation of that under such extreme circumstances that there is no way that after this series that we are so lucky to do with you, I I already can feel how inspired our listeners are going to be in hearing these stories and how much they're going to take away from them in terms of being able to convey that idea of resilience to their kids and really bring it home. I want people to remember when this is done, when it's over and Ukraine is its own (laughs) well-defended separate entity as much big as I can imagine. I want people to remember that this happened. I want people to remember that this is part of the reason that, you know, victory was possible, that it's not just being bombed. It's fighting back literally as well as with work. It's fighting back by keeping to the work that means everything to you. It's fighting back by trying, by getting up and going every day. I'm going to start trying. Duh. <laughs> yeah, and, and your, your listeners too, for sure. I am always here to answer questions and of course, if there's a specific guest at the end of this, somebody you see on the website that you didn't get to hear from, certainly let us know because we can somehow get in touch with them. And like I said, the website's mission really is to bridge the gap between the customer, the angel and these brands. So I'm sure even the brands would love to hear from you as well if you have something you want to know. Oh, absolutely. We're so grateful to be able to be a unique conduit for your story and their story in a way that speaks directly to children and families, because getting the message out and getting their stories out in a unique way, I think is really important as well in terms of having this well-rounded dialogue about what's happening and about the courageous work that all of these Ukrainian designers are continuing to do through the worst of circumstances. It's been fun. And and yeah, I can't wait to see what's next, actually. I mean, I'm not going to even jinx it by telling you what my plan is for the future. But yes, I mean, I definitely have some huge, mongous high hopes for this to be much bigger even than maybe just one country. Oh, I love that. I, I, I love that. Yeah. Audacity, I think, is really important. And I feel like women... People who have been historically disenfranchised have been encouraged to limit themselves because of the egos of others. And I love it when I get to see powerful women be audacious in public. It makes me feel really happy. <laughs> I mean, we got to try, yes, we, right? Right. One of the projects Rachel and I are working on, this is your first time hearing it, listeners, is a women of fashion history deck of cards, like trivia cards that feature images, and then they have uh, augmented reality enhancements to them. And I have a feeling after this conversation, Jen, that you're going to have cards. 
Oh, yeah. mm, we yeah. should. That's such because a good idea. That's such that a good is idea. So cool. <laughs> this is such profound work, truly. And I love that you already have, unsurprisingly, your eye to how to expand your modality beyond the Ukraine and really just work to uplift those in, again, these dire circumstances. It is essential. And so I have two more questions. One of which you spoke to the pressure cooker that was getting this going at this time for you as a founder, what advice would you have for young people listening who are looking to start their own fashion business, maybe not as a designer, but in, to amplify other designers? What advice do you have to a fashion entrepreneur to be who is uh, you know, younger? Well, I would say the biggest thing is this has been a very successful project in just a few short weeks. But I can tell you, I've had some unsuccessful projects as an entrepreneur. So don't get discouraged and just know that like the first thing that you launch might not be the thing that actually works. I've always wanted to kind of be working for myself and not working for someone else. And, you know, trust me, I tried a bunch of different things that didn't end up working and I was even getting a bit discouraged and feeling kind of stupid because every time I would start a new project, I would call everyone and tell them what I was doing and then it wouldn't work out. So I felt like I looked like a real dummy. But I think that's part of the journey to getting to a place where you finally find that one project that just works. So that's probably the biggest thing. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I've been in that same boat. So it's again back to that audacity tenacity and fortitude that you display so well and also are helping facilitate for for others i know that our last usual question is going to be book related because as a publishing house we love books here do you have any particular books fashion or otherwise but preferably fashion that impacted your ethos inspired you that you would recommend to anyone listening who wants to dive down a fashion rabbit hole of course, of course. I mean, obviously, you know, the Delivering Happiness book by Tony Shea, the late Tony Shea, unfortunately, is, you know, a very easy read for kids and adults. But I would say one of the largest fashion icons who unfortunately just passed recently as well, Andre Leon Talley. So I didn't even tell you this yet, but when I was at Zappos, I brokered the deal to hire Andre as our creative director for Zappos Couture. Wow. Oh my God. I have a thousand questions. So, definitely the t most incredible thing I've probably ever done. I mean, meeting Andre and being able to work with him, his, you know, not only his larger than life personality, but I mean, his mind was so sharp. I, I mean, he could look at a dress and tell you who designed it and when it came down the runway, like what year. I mean, his stories were incredible mm -hmm. to listen yeah. to. So reading, of course, he has a few different books that I have read and they're all absolutely incredible. The, the day that I feel like I could have died in fashion was the day that I was having a meeting with Andre in Mark Jacobs studio in New York. We were not there to meet Mark. We were there to meet the management team. And then Mark happens to walk out because he was doing a model <sighs> casting. 
And of course, you know, they're friends. So they, Mark Jacobs and Andre Leon Telly, like hug. And then Andre looks at me and Mark and says, oh, Mark, like you have to meet my new boss. Jen, this is Mark. Mark, this is Jen. I mean, literally the coolest thing ever. Not only meeting Mark Jacobs, but just knowing that Andre respected me enough to call me his boss. No, yeah, that's I, I like, powerful. At that powerful. moment, my career could have been over. It would have been all yeah. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take me out back. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, Andre, rest in peace. I mean, uh, the shift on trenches was fantastic. And his, I mean, he was just a, a fashion savant, really, truly. He lost a great resource. Yeah, his books talk about how fashion impacted his life from a very young age. So, I mean, a lot to do with what you kind of talk about here too. Yeah, we I love know, him. It's, it's, we, we're, we're a bit obsessed between, between Andre and Iris. I, I have a very big obsession. I would gladly auction off a kidney for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I might be able to make that happen. <laughs> the kidney Don't or the Iris? Me, I'll have a small stroke. <laughs> yeah. Well, she. She is she is very close friends with a friend of mine. The, he the might guy, literally. He, yeah, he literally. I'm trying to think of his title now. It's something big at Footwear News. Now it's even bigger. But yeah, Michael Atmore. He was years ago the editor in chief of Footwear News. He is very close friends with Iris. I have yet to meet her, but I've heard incredible things. Oh, we want to get her a copy of the book because we put her in the oh, front row of the fashion show. We put her in the front row of the fashion show with the glasses. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can do that in a second. No problem. No problem. We'll talk offline right. after this. We'll talk offline. Yes. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think this is a good segue to thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Little Red Village podcast. And for those of you who had didn't catch it on the episode, make sure you 100% absolutely go to angeloffashion.com and check out this amazing, impactful work that Jen is doing to highlight, uplift, and showcase the work of Ukrainian designers at this pivotal time in Ukrainian history as they fight tooth and nail for their independence from Russian aggression. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, as always, Rachel, our amazing head fashion historian here at Little Red, for being such a force and connecting the dots to have Jen join us for this and our other episodes related to Angel for Fashion. I'm Jonathan Joseph, your fearless leader at Little Red. And if you haven't yet, please absolutely follow us on Instagram at Little Red Fashion Co. And sign up for our mailing list, littleredfashion.com. Thank you so, so much. That's a wrap for today. Visit us at littleredfashion.com, where you can find the show notes and transcripts of Little Red Village podcast episodes on the blog. And if you enjoyed it, give us a four-star review on whatever platform you're listening through. We're on a mission to empower the next generation and build a community of supportive fashion lovers, families, educators, and professionals like you to help creative kids thrive. Thanks for joining Jonathan and Rachel today. And remember, fashion is for everyone.